0: Hi, Vietnamese podcast. My name is Carolyn Nguyen, and I'm the debut author of The Fortunes of Jade Women.
1: Welcome to The Vietnamese. I'm your host, Kenneth Nguyen. Being part of a culture of nearly 100 million Vietnamese people in the world today comes with a lot of pain, proud history and privilege. Join me as I highlight and explore the Vietnamese experience from all over the world. Thank you for coming on, Carolyn. What does it mean to be Vietnamese to you nowadays?
0: I feel like Vietnamese people are very funny. And a lot of my book and my work highlights that because, uh, yeah, we like to roast and drag each other quite a bit. And we have that resiliency and like, like thick skin to like handle that type of like uh, dialogue and insults, right?
1: Congratulations on getting this uh, book published, because I know that's a big deal. It's very difficult to get, you know, to finish something and then finally to get it published and put out there. So that's a big feat. So congratulations.
0: Oh my gosh, thank you so much. Yeah, it's uh, it's definitely been a journey and a half uh, to get here for sure. I've, you know, my undergrad degree was in journalism but it took me 10 plus years to really get like a book together. This is probably like the third book I've written and the other two were like completely shelved. Um, but this is the one that like really came from my heart. And like, I've always written about Vietnamese American stories. You know, but in like five years ago, this book would never have been made, right? So the fact that like this was like able to like reach, you know, this like national level of attention and like from a, a major imprint and publishing house, it's, it's, it's quite joyful. Well,
1: why do you think five years ago, it wasn't a thing? And then now today, it's was able to be picked up.
0: You know i was just talking about this with some friends but like it's kind of trendy to be vietnamese now like i don't know if you like feel that way too but like i feel like more and more vietnamese stories that's not about the war is like finally coming to light and yeah it's like this like strange like trendiness of of being vietnamese like I never saw it being trendy. (laughs) I, you know, like, we're just kind of like, it's just who we are, right? It's our lived views, like it's our reality. So um, I, yeah, but you know, also like my, it's, I am not, I am like the exception, not the rule in publishing. My agent at the time was Korean American. My editor behind the book is Vietnamese American so you know to have those people behind the scenes who really would usher mm. in these type of stories is so crucial right like I like to have a vietnamese american editor acquire and buy my book and edit the book um it goes so far and it shows like look at the reception right like it it's it's important to have these people behind the scenes too
1: that's probably the answer i wasn't thinking of which is five years ago ten years ago people behind the scenes like your editor were not put in place or we didn't pursue those kind of careers so we just didn't you know we just weren't in the control booth helping out writers and and creatives that were on their journey Mm
0: -hmm. yeah like now there's like there's more of us right there's more of us in these positions and You know, I can only hope in like 10 plus more years, like hopefully sooner that there'll be more people, more Vietnamese people in like higher positions of power to like make those like executive calls.
1: But how lucky are you to have a Vietnamese editor, a Vietnamese woman editor to understand what she's, I mean, can you tell me a little bit about that interaction and that experience? I mean, was that somebody you were looking for? Did you know the person or it just happened to be?
0: I did not know Lone, but I knew of her book. She is a YA author as well, young adult. And so she wrote a story called A Love Story. So I did know of her, but never in a million years would I ever expect for her and I to cross paths. Um, Because, you know, when you write this, when I set out to write this book, like I kind of assume that like nobody, Vietnamese would be behind the scenes. Like that's just like your natural assumption, right? Like, Like you're just like, could never dare to hope. Um but then my agent at the time, Stephanie Kim, she found loan and her wish list of books and she's like, we have to go for loan. We have to try for loan. And you know Atria is like such like a Atria the imprint is like so like big and it's just so I never dreamed I would get atria or alone. And so um, I, we, we, we really wanted to get low. And so it all worked out at the end. Yeah. It's, it's very lucky. It's extraordinary lucky. And I only hope to be able to have that same luck again for like my next couple of
1: books. Yeah. Because the book is really centered around Vietnamese women and then how appropriate Mm -hmm. to have a a Vietnamese woman editor on the other side to really have Mm -hmm. that kind of support is phenomenal.
0: You know what's interesting about that because the book is based off a Vietnamese psychic in Hawaii who's very much real. loans, Lone's mother actually knew of the psychic I was talking about in the book. So that just shows another power of like community, right? And like word of mouth in the community where like you know, Lone grew up on the East Coast, right? And her, but her yet her mother knew the woman in Hawaii.
1: Yeah, that's one of the things that I want to lead in with is this psychic from Hawaii. <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> everybody everybody I've talked to, they they always ask me what is her name and how can I get <laughs> how can I get um like how can I go see her? It's so funny. She's very real. She's like um her I guess I can tell her her name. Her name is Lanbo she is on the island of oahu um and yeah i think she's like a little she's off some freeway but you can just look her up lanbo and yeah this woman has been haunting oahu for forever for like decades
1: yeah i have a very close um my partner and friend is anderson lay and he's from oahu and he's told me about this psychic um for many years and we're just i, I i've always wanted to go and see her But yeah, I've known about her for for many years.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And you know, the real deal is such an interesting way because did your family grow up like very superstitious and like, did you have a, a family fortune teller? Right.
1: Yes. We still engage in that sort of practice. Yes.
0: So it's interesting that you, you know, we talk about like what the real deal is. Right. And like, you know, my family also has like fortune tellers and like numerologists and my dad has a woman in Vietnam he sends numbers off to, right? But th- the funny thing is about all this stuff growing up, it's like it was never tr- it Never came true, <laughs> right? Like it literally never came true. And so that's why I always took it like a grain of salt because, you know, I think when I was like a child, my mom like took me to see somebody to see like what I would turn out, like what my profession would be. And they said, I'd become a surgeon. And like, thank God I didn't become a surgeon, right? Like I would have killed so many people. <laughs> like I should not be a surgeon. And so that's why it's interesting. When I heard about Lambo. I heard about Lambeau through my friends, my friend's friend's mother or something crazy like that. And then um, they talked about how you have to go see land. Like you have to go see land. And so then when I flew to see her for my uh, I think it was like 27. I for my 27th birthday at the time, and yeah, like I, I will never see her again. <laughs> That's for sure. Why? Yeah, because it was. I think it was like just so like. There's something very powerful to see uh, a Vietnamese woman like that who is like such a larger-than-life figure in the community, right? And you know, like I, I just. I remember feeling like sitting there and like listening to her talk, and she would, she knew stuff about my life that nobody should know. You know, like she knew stuff that like my only like my mother knows, or like, you know, it's very like intense stuff that's like deep family history, like really crazy. And um, I just remember thinking, like, I should not be here. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. So I flew to Lentvo for my 27th birthday like five years ago so you can guess my age if you want <laughs> and um, I saw her because you know I was kind of going to like a hard time at the, at, at the time like of my period at the period of my life and I just wanted like it's something so comforting to talk to another Vietnamese woman and I had heard so much about this woman and I just wanted to see if she was like the real deal versus like maybe like the family fortune tellers my parents saw or like the numerologist my parents saw um, but when I went in there, like, and I like sat across from her. And by the way, it took me seven hours to see this woman. She, you cannot, oh. it's like, it's like walking to a mortar. You simply cannot walk into a mortar, right? Like you need like an appointment time. If you do not have one, you have to wait for a very long time to see her. She is like booked back to back to back to back. Um, but my friend, and my friend, Dana and I, we like waited to see this woman. And then when it was finally my turn, um, I like sat down across from her and she like said stuff that like, nobody should know. Like she knew stuff about my family, my life. That was like, so like, it's like stuff you take to the grave. Right. And so that's why I was like really freaked out. I was like, oh, and I had this feeling, I don't know if I should be here. Right. Because I've never experienced that with like anybody else my family has spoken to, all the fortune tellers, all the numerologists, like, I didn't have the exact same feeling that I had, of like, just, like, chills, and, um, yeah, it was just kind of, it was just so crazy, and then she, at the time, I had given up writing, right, I did, I, I, I wasn't gonna make it as a writer, and so I had to, like, just, like, pivot, I went into tech, like, I had been trying for so long, and I just wanted to, like, kind of give up, and so I kind of, like, took a a long break in my writing career. And, you know, she looked at me and she said, you know, by the time you're 33, you're going to be very successful. You're going to have like a book come out. And then she told me when I would like, meet my agent, she said, your agent will look just like you. And she meant that she was like uh, an Asian woman, right? And then she predicted when I would meet, when Lone Lee would acquire the timeline in which she would acquire my manuscripts. Because Lone actually rejected my manuscript the first time. And she said that. She said, not the first time of Loan, the second time. Obviously, she didn't say Loan's name. That would be too crazy, right? Yeah. But she said, like, not the first time, the second time. And so when we went back out to Loan again the second time, that's when she acquired the book. It's, it's freaky. Like, <laughs> I'm telling you, like, if you speak good Vietnamese, like, you should go see the Coleman for sure.
1: I really want to go see because I'm into that kind of stuff i really am yeah
0: it's interesting yeah it's very interesting and it's quite powerful to see like this woman who immigrated to oahu in the 70s like have this presence Power, yeah. in the island right yeah like she is a staple of the community and everybody knows who she is they call her auntie that's same in my book i call her auntie in the book right like um yeah maybe i'll go see her again one day when i'm like not afraid anymore. <laughs> yeah. yeah,
1: you you call her Auntie Hu, he, right?
0: Yeah, I mean, I didn't want to call her by her real name in yeah. the book.
1: But why uh, did you name her that?
0: Like grab random names. Yeah, like names that I have heard like throughout my life. Yeah, like the surname Young uh, is my mother's surname. You know, so I use that for the women. You know, and it's like names. It's I wanted names that you don't typically see of Vietnamese stories. Um, like in the book
1: yeah because uh auntie who it sounds to me like it's well the way it uh it reads is auntie promise
0: oh <laughs> oh, i that was totally intentional <laughs> it was yeah let's just say it's intentional okay <laughs> let's just say my vietnamese is that good that i was able to have that like that moment of clarity yeah over 30 <laughs>
1: but but isn't that weird you just named that is weird oh a, a, yeah it's h-u-a with the right you know um marks that says this is yeah. promise. so it's wow. Like weird wow oh
0: my gosh mm. I'm so I'm a bastion of Vietnamese literature <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> yeah.
1: but but it, it makes me think about like um you know when we pull ideas from the ether you know you're sitting in yeah. writing and things come down these are one of those examples where you kind of i don't know maybe i'm reading too much into things sometimes but i feel like writers always say that they're not really in control sometimes they're just pulling thoughts yeah. down and it just gets channeled through their fingers do you, do you experience that
0: yes when i wrote this book so the first draft took me five years to write. When Lone rejected me the first time, she gave some feedback. And it was originally like a series of like short story collection, as a short story collection, right? And when Lone gave me feedback, I could see everything. It was like a strange out-of-body experience where like I could see what she was trying, like I could see what she wanted from the book and I could see like what I had to do. And so for two months, I like sat down on my computer like after work, before work, during lunch, and I had an extreme out of body experience. And I like just like began to revise it. Like stuff just like flew out of me. That's crazy. Like, And I, and I knew this was the book that, this was the book that like Lambeau was talking about. You know, like you just kind yeah. of like know, you just know. And it took me like I've been writing my entire life, right? High school, college, grad school, like. I didn't have that same experience like I did with this book, where like, in my mind, I always knew how the book was going to end. I always knew the last sentence, and I I, I just like knew.
1: In one of these interviews recently, you said that your work in journalism was something that you pursued for a long time, um, and you never made it. And I found that to be an interesting statement, a very honest statement, but what do you mean you haven't made it because i feel like in journalism and the arts and creative um, pursuits it's all about just like staying with it for a long time until something happens but for you to say very concretely that i didn't make it what can you talk about that journey of perhaps not making it what that what does that mean
0: yeah you know i i got a journalism degree in college I do not advise it at all, but back then I was like, I'm going to be a journalist and travel the world and, you know, write these like hard hitting investigative pieces. And, you know, after I grabbed, I couldn't land a job. I just could not do it. And um, so then it took me a couple of years. I didn't do it. I wrote some small pieces. It, again, very freelance, not stable. And then I got um, like this like writing manager who you know, want me to move to LA and like write a couple of screenplays and pilots to see like how I can like pivot to like that type of like format. Right. And I was like, okay, I'll take a shot. Even though like, you know, again, it's not paid. You're just kind of taking a chance. And, you know, I think I was like 23, 24 at the time. Um, and I was living in East Hollywood. I remember this. I was living in East Hollywood in a, uh, a, a hallway closet that the guy was renting for $300 a month with no windows. And I remember thinking like, I'm not going to make it. Like, I'm just not going to make it because I need to eat. I need a paycheck. Like I just need to live. And so by the time I was 24, 25, I just abandoned it all. Like I just like stopped trying. And I went to, I moved to Portland for like a coding boot camp, and I just like went into tech. Yeah, because I just, I knew in my heart back then, I was like, this is not the time for me. Like, it's time to call it quits, or I keep doing this for five more years, and then I'm 30, and then I'm just going to, like, just keep grinding, you know? And, like, some days I just wanted to have a stable paycheck, and, like, I just knew that, yeah, and that, and that like, that one summer I knew.
1: It's so crazy listening to these kind of stories of of people who struggle in their early years, trying to find their, the voice of the craft. Yeah, you know, but, but I'm now I'm curious. I mean, spending $300 in a, in a hallway closet, what did you do for money? And what did mentally, how did you kind of get to coding?
0: You know, I'm like always online. (laughs) I'm like a little, like, like a little mole just like digging for information and at the time like a 24 like coding boot camps were very like trendy, right? Like I was oh like make money as a software engineer. Like it's so easy. Just complete this boot camp. And I like fell for it. <laughs> yeah. I actually was just talking about this with my friend um who also went with me to Portland. And yeah, I mean I got a job after I think my first job in tech paid like forty five thousand dollars a year as like a web developer. And that was the most money I've ever made my entire life by the way at like 25 and so i was like hyped on life right i was like oh my god i'm rich this is it this is it carolyn <laughs> All Right? um and then i quickly realized it's actually quite difficult <laughs> yeah it's actually really hard and um it, yeah i i did it for like two years but like it was like i i suffered <laughs> and like whatever code i put out there i It's weak. I'm sure it will dismantle the entire infrastructure. I don't know what happened. Um, But then I went to grad school because like in like, you know, the similar like web development, UX, you know, design, stuff like that. I was like, okay, well, if I can't cut it as a program, I'll just do this. And so it's a very long story, but I just pivoted into tech afterwards. Um, And, but you know, the entire time I was doing that, I could not let it go. You just can't let it go. Wow. And yeah, you just can't let, you can't let, I've always known my entire life, like I was in, I wanted to be a writer because I remember when I was a child, like I would have such intense dreams of being a writer. Yeah, it was, it was so strange. And like, so I just, I, I just, I had to keep writing.
1: You know, I, now it all makes sense because I was reading it and, the the book and i was thinking about so this is like some 50 year old lady who's traveled extensively who's lived a lot of life is writing about her experiences and i mean because you you're taking us to hawaii new york saigon orange county seattle you're writing about priscilla and mark uh in the you know these you know whatever names that you've given these characters was you know for me i i got it right away it was like oh you spent some time up in the tech area tech space so Um, in my mind i was like you're much older but now mm -hmm. i get it like and these these weird um times in our lives happen when you look back and you know that steve jobs thing where the dots all connect and there are mm-hmm. Reasons why you took off and, and lived in, you know, but unbeknownst to you or to hum- any human, these things kind of come back up in the creative world, the creative process.
0: They do. Yeah. They always kind of like sneak up on you, right? Like you just, like, I look back and I'm like, I'm so glad I walked away at 24. Like I'm so glad I chose a different life. Yeah back then because now i can see with so much clarity you know like it's okay to quit actually it's okay to just give up for a little bit or even a long time or even forever because if you're if your mind's really truly cannot let that go it'll it'll come back come back yeah Yeah. It's, it's, it's quiet for a couple of years, but it's, it's back there. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Yeah. Now, while you're in tech and you're coding and you're doing all of this work, how did you get back into your rhythm of writing?
0: So I lived in Seattle for almost like 10 years on and off again, on and off again. And I, you know, at nighttime after work, I am like, God, like, I just need something, something, right? And so I took five years, almost four, almost four years of classes at the Richard Hugo House in Seattle, which is like a writing center. And I wrote a short story um, based off of Lambeau in the Richard Hugo House. Mm. And then my teacher at the time, Wancy Young Jo, a a Korean uh, queer man, uh, saw, he read it and he, you know, we got coffee one day and he's like, you need to keep writing. Like you just need to keep going. Like whatever you do, you just gotta keep going. And I was like, really? And he's like, yeah. Like you must keep going. And then I never saw him again because he moved to LA afterwards. And I just saw him for the first time in five years at my Los Angeles debut of The Fortune's of Jaded Women. And I was like, oh my god, fancy! Like, cool. like that that coffee meeting. Like he, yeah, I kept going after that. Yeah, and you know, writing and most creative work is very lonely you don't know what you're you just don't get any confirmation validation or enthusiasm most of the time it's just so lonely right like you're just on your you're just in your own head yeah. that's it and you have no idea what you're doing is good or bad mediocre or like problematic <laughs> right you have no idea right and then to have those tiny blips of those tiny blips are like people say like this keep going that can go like a long way for a lot of people in this industry yeah
1: yeah and and you know the sheer amount of people creatives that are just kind of quietly doing their work is a there's a lot and to finally finish something it's not like a year or two where you just kind of like bang it out and you know it's like out there these things for me it's like a minimum always of like you know percolating in your brain you know a few years and finally getting to write it it's a few years all in all typically it takes about 10 years to roughly about 10 years yeah. to from start to finish for any of these first debut novels what do you think drove you to finish and to keep pushing
0: you know I have to say i'm I'm quite an introvert, um but you know I had like a like a large community in Seattle, and so you know from work, school, friends, you know my neighborhood like I was always like out and about, and I just didn't give time to myself anymore to allow myself to dream about really being an author again, but when the pandemic hit, that silence like while it was so awful for so many people, that silence allowed me to think and breathe again. Like I was able to see things so much like just it was so clear to me to to know like what I truly wanted from this life to be like just happy, like writing, like in my own world. And that time period, while a lot of people like in you know, like it was just so tumultuous and so bad for a lot of people. But for me, it was like my little woman cave of producing the most creative work of my life.
1: You know, a lot of people don't talk about it because I think it's kind of like um, people feel like a lot of people, you know, a lot of people died, a lot of people suffered, but what's not spoken often about is the amount of creative work that was completed. As I sit and interview all these artists and writers, I've learned that in those two years of the pandemic, it allowed so many people the freedom to pursue, I mean, for me too, I thought about podcasting for a decade before I even got started. And then, you know, I think that was the impetus for me to say, all right, this is one life to live. We gotta go for this and we just do it. And here we are. Yeah.
0: I feel a lot of people have like a come to Jesus moment, right, of like, what do I want with my life? Like, what do I wanna do? Like, if you have all this time to think like, how do you want to spend that time doing? Like, you know what I mean? Like it was just so, yeah, it was, um, yeah, yeah. It, it was, it was a good time period for me personally in my in the writing portions of Jade Women.
1: You know, in one of your Instagram posts, um, you, you wrote something, I'm paraphrasing here, but you said something about, thank you for not judging me for making terrible life choices. I thought that was really funny, but now I'm I'm seeing who you you who you are. You're very you're very funny, um, but it's like uh, an understated kind of uh, humor. But I wanted to ask you: Were you being funny, or did you really make some bad life choices that we can talk about?
0: Oh yeah, no, yeah, my twenties were a mess. Yeah, no, I like the hallway closet. Like, you know, I made some horrible like decisions with like love and relationships, and you know, I. I think I was just like, you know, in your 20s, like, do you think you're so invincible? So every decision you make, you feel like nothing, no consequences can come from it. A lot of consequences can come from the decisions you make in your 20s, for sure. Yeah, I'm still paying for some of my 30s, right? And so it's always like, like, whatever you think, like, a decade is so messy, was so messy, right? And so I really wanted to highlight that in the book with the women because um, the women are so messy and I love that. And like, they make horrible decisions and they never learn from their mistakes, but they keep going, right? And like, they keep hitting that wall. And I just love, uh, I really, this is a really weird thing for me to say, but I really love it when people don't take people's advice, even though they keep hearing the same advice over and over again, because that shows that Shows a type of stubbornness and determination, right? So, I always like think that's like really funny to me. Where, like, you get such great advice, and like, oh, like, why don't you try it this way? And they're like, I don't know, no, I'm gonna keep doing it my way until my life blows up, <laughs> you know? And so, yeah, I just have that kind of like mentality. I just think it's like so mudding
1: But, what are the terrible decisions? Some of the terrible decisions that you said you i'm like i'm here for that i'm like
0: oh my god what kind, of,
1: what kind of terrible life choices would make somebody say i made some terrible life choices i mean you're here you're successful but what were so what were the things that were so no terrible? it
0: took me it took me a real long time to get to get to this point and you know like <laughs> i don't know like i'm just like a messy person like i I think I was, like, seeking love in places I didn't, I didn't know how to get that type of love that I thought I needed, you know what I mean? Hmm. And that's why, like, you know, like, you grow up and, like, my parents never said I love you, right? Like, they don't say that. And so I didn't know, like, I thought I, like, needed to hear those words from people, places and things to feel like fully assimilated right and so like that's why like a lot of the love stories in the book it's like just making really terrible relationship uh like love advice like the mark and priscilla storyline you know because i worked in tech as an asian woman i named it after mark zuckerberg and yep. priscilla chan right because I saw so many of those type of relationships in my company, yeah. in all the companies I worked at and like and so it's just yeah, it's just so messy, right? And everyone's like looking for love and to feel validated and yeah, I'm not gonna tell you any of my stories kind of No, I'm
1: like digging for so it. You know, I'm like-
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Don't try to don't try to squeeze <laughs> out of me.
1: Look, I only—I give it—I give it one hard college uh, uh, attempt, and then I back out because sometimes I'm. Yeah, go ahead.
0: Yeah, I know. I you're like trying. You're trying, to dig and fish and claw your way. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm a vault. I'm not saying anything. <laughs> that I'm... only, only Landbo and I will know what. <laughs>
1: yeah yeah thank you for um uh locking the vault up because i think the struggle is fun too right this dialogue this banter trying to break into that you know vault of like okay tell me about the terrible decisions you know and i'm trying to be professional about it but all right we're we're past that now (laughs) very cool as you're getting out of this uh coding mentality um and you're writing more because you're you know, connected to this, just this center of writing. Uh, It's not a college or anything. It's just a writing center.
0: It's a writing center in Seattle. It's quite, it's, it's like, it's like a local, it's very famous, but it's like popular in our community in Seattle. And so like, yeah, the Richard Hugo house really helped me craft um, my fiction skills. And I actually applied um, for my MFA uh, program. Yeah. So I got into MFA program and I was, you know, I, the week I started was the week I got my literary agent. So oh. I dropped out because I signed with an agent. And never in my life would I think I would have gotten an agent to offer to represent me.
1: But you didn't finish anything yet when you got an agent? Like, Did you have a, a manuscript?
0: I had I had a manuscript, yeah. Oh. I had a short story collection, which is the original Bones of the Fortunes of Jaded Women.
1: Wow. And how quickly your life changed after getting an agent?
0: It probably I I signed with her in December or November or October. I really can't remember. This is like in like 2020 or like yeah, it's probably 2020. And then um we went out with loan. I would say it changed in like four or five months. Yeah, quite drastically. I remember I was um I had pulled a pandemic pandemic panic move and I had packed up my entire car in Seattle and um and I was set to drive down the I-5 and move back to California because I said to myself like I don't want to die in Seattle mm-hmm. like I want to be close to my family you know what I mean I was like I can't die here like like I'm not I don't want to die here. <laughs> you know I had lived there for 10 years I was like I really miss my life here, you know, like I, I, miss like, yeah. And so I remember my two friends, uh, my friends from high school, Catherine Tran, her husband came up and they helped me drive, you know, my car, my car is like so shitty. It's like a two door hatchback, Toyota Yaris with like dents on the side. And we drove my entire life along with like my rabbit in the backseat. It's a hatchback, right? So there's like yeah. three of us and a rabbit. A rabbit and three people inside a hatchback. And at four, six, six, o'clock, 6 o'clock in the morning, East Coast time, my agent calls me and she's like, loan offered. And we were literally driving past Portland when she called me at the DM. And I was like screaming in the car. Everybody was like screaming with me. My rabbit was screaming. We were all screaming together. Just like we couldn't believe it. Yeah. And I was just heading down the freeway to move back home.
1: How long ago was that?
0: This was probably... Um, February of 2021 I think
1: god it was just recently yeah, yeah. it's just like yesterday
0: not crazy? crazy yeah
1: and then you had two months to reorganize the
0: I had probably I don't remember now probably four months to revise and edit and everything and then yeah just just resubmitted back to loan and we went through the whole yeah. publication journey and it takes, it takes a long time yeah. in publishing. Yeah. Um, but yeah. And then I got good morning, America book club book with the month, Amazon pick like Buzzfeed. So I couldn't believe it. Right. Like I just simply could not believe it.
1: Yeah. Because it's, yeah. Yeah. Just, yeah. You think about your life where it's such a dark struggle for a decade or decade and a half. And you know it just takes a year and then things just really turn around and we yeah. just never know um but see that's why our parents are so afraid of us taking these routes into art and music and writing because there's no payoff um if
0: yeah there's you know, no there, payoff.
1: there's no payoff because you could stop at year eight and you you know there, it's done Or you can just keep going and keep going and follow that, uh, the voice of the muse and keep pursuing and eventually you'll, you'll make it.
0: Yeah. I just really feel like I just couldn't let it go. And I knew whether the next day or five years or 10 years, I will always have in the back of my mind. Like it would, like, it would have haunted me for sure. And so like, that's why, like, I just knew I had to keep going. Like somehow.
1: And what did your parents think? the entire time before the book came out?
0: I think they were just like, you know, worried. I mean, obviously, right. Like it was quite tumultuous in like my early twenties. And like, you know, when I went to coding bootcamp, I think they were like relieved that I was like mm-hmm. on like, a new path, that like potentially could be like more stable. Um, but I didn't even tell them until like, I signed a deal with, like, Simon Schuster and Atria. I was like, I have a book coming out. And, but because, like, the process takes two years to publication, like, they didn't really believe me, <laughs> right? Because, like, they have to see it, like, a bookstore, like, Barnes Noble, like, like physically hold it yeah. to, like, believe me. And, you know, for, like, a long time, like, I tell everybody this story because my dad truly thought I went to Kinko's and, like, printed mm-hmm. out some like pages and like hot glued it together right like they didn't like believe me and then um it's so funny i told them i got good morning america and my mom was like is that the day show and like you know they still didn't quite understand but when i got into my viet that's when they understood yeah
1: wow they're
0: like oh they're like oh shit got (laughs) real yeah they're like like you
1: You have a lot. Now, now it makes sense now. Again, like I said, you know, I felt like it was a 50-year-old woman who wrote the book because there's so many settings. And But now I get it. Now you go back to Vietnam quite a bit. You lived in Seattle. Uh, there's all of these th- pockets in, of Hawaii, of OC. And uh, I, yeah, one of my questions was, how did you get to know all these places and characters uh, so well? Because when you're developing characters and scenarios, they have to react to certain things and they have to mm-hmm. have certain cues and certain understanding of like the locale that they're so when you write about these things i was like oh this woman has a lot of experience with living in all these places and i think that's so important because it gives you such a a richer texture mm-hmm. uh, as, as a reader you just you're like oh this this is some real life shit.
0: Mm-hmm. i think i just really whenever i travel i like maybe it's like my writer brain but i like have like, I, so it's sound a little crazy, so just stay with me. Like, I see my reality around me, but then I have these made-up worlds in my head of where I am. And, and so I can just see, like, the storyline of Tao, who is an expat who moves back to Saigon, right? Like, that's a very real storyline. There's so many um, Vietnamese people who move back and start businesses. And, like, there's, it's such a vibrant scene of, like, expat. right but not just any expat like the Vietnamese expat scene and so I really wanted to like highlight that type of culture where like you know like they don't Vietnam's like thriving right and so I really wanted to like show like what was happening over there because not a lot of us know really for especially for those who like who haven't been back or who have never been over there you know like like you should go have fun like drink a lot (laughs) you know yeah yeah
1: you sound like a lot of fun carolyn
0: <laughs> yeah like go like go have fun right and um and so and you know the storyline at hawaii like i really want to make sure i do that justice like i'm talking you know i want to make sure like i'm not everybody go to hawaii right now everybody go see this psychic you know like that's not what, like flood flood the islands like eat everything clog the highways you know take everything like that's definitely not what I want to do at all. And I just really want to highlight a very specific Vietnamese experience of that Vietnamese culture in Hawaii. Cause there is a lot of us over there. Right. And so again, just sticking to the Vietnamese diaspora scene in each of these places, because that's the best I can speak to and not anything else.
1: Yeah. You know, I'm I'm stuck on what you said, you know, I, without, without, the risk of offending listeners and audience, it's for me, I just find it mind blowing for Vietnamese people in Orange County or Houston or San Jose or any enclave to have, um God, this is such a bad thing to say, to have the means, but not go to Vietnam for political reasons or whatever, that yeah. and it holds you back because, there is this thriving world in Vietnam in Saigon, Hanoi, that ninety-eight million people live in this country and you're disconnected from this motherland. And how can we think that we are entirely American? You know, now fuck that, I'm American. I don't fuck with the the, 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 the other side. It's just the but it's it's um, it's the cradle of where our culture comes from and to deny that Annually for me is a painful mm-hmm. thing. I it's painful for me not to even be living there.
0: Yeah, and you know, a lot of it stems from fear, right? And it's the yeah. same war propaganda and like it's like I can't fault them because you know, I didn't escape a war. You know, I just simply woke up one day and oh born in the Fountain Valley, California like look at me right like I don't know I don't carry that type of like that trauma trauma. but I do carry a different type of trauma right that was like passed down to me from my parents and like but you know I just began to become so curious and that curiosity is like what you see in the book of like what's out there and like what's out there like actually be okay and I remember the first time I went to visit Vietnam I was like Holy, this is so fun. Like the scooters, the late Mm -hmm. nights, um, eating snails, drinking beer, like clams, shopping, like, you know, like it was just so, it was just so alive.
1: Alive. Yeah, it's so vibrant. Fountain Valley or even LA. Yeah. I I come off the airplane uh, coming up from Saigon for a few weeks. Every time I feel like I'm coming back to a sleepy town
0: yeah right and that's just like that joy is what i really wanted to capture um in the book because you know that same joy can be have can we can have it in the diaspora too yeah you know
1: you know you were just talking about how like when you travel you know you see things and you, there's imaginary sort of scenarios that you play out you know and i'll that's one of my questions because um there is a lot of details happening in different places. You know, you jump it back and forth in the storylines from different locales, and there's details that I'm like, okay, um, when when I'm reading this, I imagine that the writer had to, you know, is there a a, a a database like a bank of details that you've kept and you filed away in some systematic way where you can drop back into and go okay here's that experience i'm going to pull this and i'm going to write about this and because it's just there's just so many of them happening in different places and it's such a rich and now that i Mm -hmm. get to know you uh, by talking to you somebody who um who's fairly young you're in your 20s when you're kind of putting all this stuff together Mm -hmm. is there a way that you've collected these stories and 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 kind of put them in a database collection somewhere. That was like one of my things when I was like reading it. I was like, there's, it's not like a linear story or just, mm. it, we're not dealing with one character or two characters that are the main storyline. We're dealing with like 14. It's like the Joylet Club, right? It's like we're yeah. dealing with a big cast of characters that mm-hmm. uh, have a lot of stories. And I was wondering, how did you keep track of all these like little details?
0: I don't think I did if I <laughs> I still don't even like my mind is so bad. Or like I can't even remember all fourteen characters sometimes. You know, because like it was so chaotic in my mind. I will say though, when I travel or when I I come across an experience, I like like God, this is so memorable. I do pull like one thing from that experience and I tuck it away in my mind. Or like, for example, in the in the the uh, storyline about Hawaii, I mentioned zippies. Right, there's a line about zippies where, yeah, you know, people are so full from zippies, and but they're still waiting for land, or they're still waiting for anti-hole, like to like come out, and like, um, but that's what happened to me, where like I grabbed a zippy's breakfast platter, and I was like chowing down, I was like God, like where is this woman, right, (laughs) and like, and so, but in my mind, I was like, why. That is the most Hawaiian thing I could do. I'm eating Zepis and I'm waiting for a Vietnamese psychic. In it's very specific. Hanoi. And that's the kind it's of shit i are talking
1: about. That's the kind of stuff yeah. that, that I picked up on. And I was like, yeah. these are very specific things. And you got to have a, either a good memory or very creative or all of it to remember these very specific things that are happening to the characters. Because, I mean, yeah. I wouldn't be able to remember. I, I try to think about that all the time. Like, you know, when I'm thinking creatively. But it's it's hard if you're not... Writing it down and putting it in some systematic way, but you're just recalling this out of your brain. I'm just
0: recalling, yeah. And you know, in my like official bio, I say you know I'm really interested in memory, both real and yeah. imaginary, and real and imaginary to me of memories is you know that's that's my right to play around with in my mind, right? Because even though I'm eating Zippies breakfast butter, waiting to see this reading and psychic at 27, like that is real but everything else around me can be imaginary and that's sort of like how i like parse things or piece things together you know um i don't know my mind is just kind of jumbled it's amazing. it's messy too don't listen to me i don't know what i'm saying <laughs> i don't know i really don't know how i wrote that book i really don't know <laughs> i don't know i don't know anything <laughs>
1: <laughs> tell us how you really feel
0: It's like I still look back. I'm like, how did how did that happen? You know, it's there's so many characters, there's so many storylines, and it just all came out of me.
1: Do you you see it? uh, Do you see it as a movie one day?
0: Um, I don't know if I'm allowed to say. Oh wait, wait. Can you like? You can. Never mind. Yeah, I do.
1: You don't have to you don't have to answer it if you're legally bound not to. <laughs> it sounds like you have a deal in place. <laughs> because, you know, well let, let before you answer that, I could see it because it um it's like the you know, it it didn't hit me right away, but after I finished it, I was like, as I'm just doing my question, you know, research to question to, to sit with you yeah I mean, a lot of it reminded me of joyla club
0: Yeah, yeah i did pull inspiration from joyla club where like she had all these multiple point of views of the women but not just the first generation like the older generation yeah. you know and like i just i've always loved that and she's like the og that is like the og like staple that that's and for a long time that's all we had
1: yeah it, that's it, it literally really all we had but this is a whole lot funnier than Than the Joy Luck (laughs) Club,
0: it's a very Vietnamese story, right? Like you know, people. I just think Vietnamese people are so funny, whether intentional or unintentional. I just think it's so funny.
1: Now, now, have your mom and dad or or family have they read the book?
0: They can't read it, but I think they have skimmed it, and I think I think my. She's like, listen, and I think my mother was quite um, shocked because, oh wait, should I give Ray a spoiler? Well, um, I won't give Ray a spoiler, but like in the synopsis, it says like somebody dies. And I told her in the book who dies and she was like, aghast. She was like, why would you have that in the book? Cause she's so superstitious, right? Yeah. yeah. And I was like, it's fiction, she's like, but you wrote it into existence. I was like, no, it's fiction. You, <laughs> you know? know so
1: These people, yeah. You can't yeah, just talk about death willy-nilly. Yeah.
0: yeah. And so she was quite, like, shocked because of the character who dies, too.
1: <laughs> <laughs> what about friends and family? What What's been their reception?
0: You know, I think I... You know... I have been very silent about my writing dreams. You know, some people just disappear. We don't like really, because sometimes you just want to keep it to yourself. People have been very shocked and surprised. And when they read it, they're like, this book is so you. This book is so you. Like the humor, the storylines, everything, the women, and like the people who have known me and loved me and held me and fed me, they understand like this comes from me. Yeah, they they can just see me all over it. And so that is like probably like my my favorite type of reception so far.
1: What's next for you?
0: I am writing a story about a family set in Houston's little Saigon. And I love uh, Vietnamese Americans in Texas because they're just like, they're like, just like a bit rowdier and like funnier, um, but I'm writing about a family there, uh, another family story. Right. And it's like, I'm calling it like house of Ho meets like succession. So it's about like a, you know, my, my first story is about the mother and daughter's relationship. My second story is about the father and daughter relationship.
1: Oh, that sounds so interesting, but you're right. They're a different breed.
0: Very different. Yeah. Very different there. Yeah very different. And um, it's so funny because I was um, I was on book tour and I stopped in Houston and I was in conversation with Christine Ha from MasterChef. And Christine Ha was my partner in conversation. And, you know, she was telling me in Houston, they have their own plan, um, though. Yeah, I think his name was Gojin. And he we talked about how people line up to see this man he used to be like a monk or something. I don't know. And like, but every community has their own Lambo, their own psychic.
1: Wow. I got to check him out too.
0: You, I'm, about to, <laughs> I'm about to buy a one-way ticket to <laughs> Houston.
1: <laughs> yeah. The thing about Houston's, the Houston Vietnamese is they're, um, I think they're very warm. And they're yes. strong, but they're warm and they're, you're right. They, they're rowdier. They drink they drink a lot and they party a lot. Mm-hmm. And you think Orange County people party and drink, but I think Houston people take it to the next level.
0: Only in Houston could they come up with Viet Cajun crawfish, right? <laughs> yeah. Right? That's sounds like maybe we should all move to Houston. <laughs>
1: yeah. And then you have the East Coast Vietnamese that are just, you know, quiet just super hard charging quiet you know mm. you know think before they speak
0: <laughs> i don't know i'm not vu so <laughs> <laughs> she's from philly hi jess
1: shout out to jess yeah i was born in the east coast as well um not too far from where she grew up
0: okay are yeah. you also from philly or
1: no i i was just born in harrisburg pennsylvania and then my parents moved around uh, for the first year of my life and settled in, uh, in L.A. Thank, oh, thank crazy. God, yeah. <laughs> I grew up in Koreatown, heart of Koreatown.
0: Oh, no way. Yeah. So do you wear, like wear like a gold chain?
1: Do I wear? Kevin wins. All right. This is the other thing we're going to talk about. <laughs> There's, there's a lot of stereotypes that are um, beginning to come up, right? The Kevin wins, right? We, we should talk about that. And then the newest one, it's not new, but it has been around now, is Chu Hai. Did you know about that? Chu Hai yes. comes from the Sup uh, kind of world. Shout out to mm-hmm. Sup Yeah, so Chu Hai now, and then we have the Kevin wins. Is there any other ones?
0: Well, so the character of Andy, I just love Andy. He's like my type of like dream man. And actually my current partner is very much Andy. Yeah. You know, Andy's like sweet, loves podcasts, you know, walks around with socks on. He's like a sweet Vietnamese man. And my partner now is a sweet Vietnamese man. Very, you know, socks, loves his podcasts, his musicals. He's very, he couldn't throw a fight, a, like a fist in his life, you know, and like that type of, you know, it's like it's you know they, these. I didn't want to make um, these guys like caricatures because they don't come; they're not really part of the story. You know, they're just kind of like there to add comic relief, or like they come in at the very end. I won't spoil the scene, but they are there as like a device to you know collide these storylines together um and yeah but the kevin Nuins, i
1: say no more kevin... i get it
0: <laughs> the kevin Nuins, i you know they are very they're very special to me <laughs> yes
1: you know what kevin i wanted Nguyen. to ask you do you think the kevin Nuins know that they're kevin Nuins?
0: no they don't which makes it funnier right i don't think they know or maybe they do know, but they don't want to say out loud. You know, I don't know. But the Kevin Winds are different in San, G- San Gabriel Valley and Cerritos and Orange County and Torrance. No, they're that is very different. And <laughs> the Kevins are very different in each one. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Same, at, same, at, same as ABG, it's very different in each one. It's very specific, right? Yeah. It, West Coast Asian Vietnamese culture is so funny to me because, like, we all have our different pockets, you know, of like the Cerritos Kevin's or the Torrens Kevin's, and like everyone's so different. But like, I could only really just give a slice of life capture of like what the the, <laughs> the template the template of a Kevin Nguyen can be. Yes,
1: but we should partner up and do um, an ethno a major ethnographic study on the Kevin's <laughs> of. Of SoCal, that would that would complete like a fat. That would
0: be very funny, yeah, yeah. I would, uh, yeah. You and me team up, go podcast on the street, yeah.
1: Or just say, well, the, th- the thing is, you know, I I have some. um The reason I asked that is because I have been called a bro my entire life. Oh, and
0: I can see that. no like I can see it yeah not like in a bad way but yeah yeah yeah.
1: and 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 I think when I was younger I was like I didn't know what that meant and that's why I'm asking you about the whole Kevin do do you think Kevin wins know what that I didn't know that my close friends were being derogatory I I felt like I felt like at for for the longest time my naive mind was like oh like you know a guy who who works out who you know wears baseball hats and you know I'm always in a baseball hat and I thought it was a, a really cool thing, but it's not. It's like, it's not. being.
0: No, there. you own it. You should own that. You should own that label. I, I've, yes.
1: I've, I've grown out of it. I'm, I'm no longer um, happy. It doesn't sit well with me now.
0: Well, you, now there's, now you can be, what was it? The Jew High or, or the <laughs> yeah. Kevin
1: Nguyen? I've been called the Jew High many times now, but I'm okay yes. with that. I'm in, you know, I'm pushing fifty here soon, so I'm like, all right, I'll take it. It's better. Th- Jew High is better than being called a bro.
0: That's true. Or a Kevin. That boy. is true. You 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 have Owned upgraded, it. my friends. Yes, you have upgraded in life.
1: Yeah. Well, Carolyn, thank you so much for spending this wonderful morning. Um, it's, a, it's a pleasure to get to know writers and the minds behind the creative work that they, that they put out.
0: This was so fun. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Like, it's, you know, I used to, I used to listen in on this podcast, so I can't believe it's like, here I am. <laughs> here I am, world. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> and, and we can't wait to see the 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 many more years of the work that you do and um all of the future writers that you will help along the way and mentor um that's the beauty of i I think being vietnamese and and being in this uh world of of supporting each other and and uplifting and amplifying each other's voice it's just a, a beautiful thing so thank you for coming on and thank you for writing such a wonderful and entertaining book
0: thank you. And thank you for doing this and uplifting Vietnamese voices. Yeah. And giving us a platform and bringing us together. We're just like, thank you. Thank you. Thank you.
1: (laughs) (laughs) All right, Carolyn, have a wonderful day.
0: Thank you so much. Okay.
1: Okay. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Vietnamese with Kenneth Nguyen. The Vietnamese is produced by Brittany Tran. Special thanks to Jane Nguyen, Catherine Nguyen, Tina Pham, Sydney Jamie, and Crystal Trinh. Please find us on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok at the Vietnamese podcast. You can also find us on YouTube where you can subscribe, like, and comment. Please rate and give us a review wherever you find our podcasts.